0: Welcome to the ED Jam. Welcome to the ED Jam. I'm going to be chatting with Dr. Stephanie Fletcher. um, And yeah, we're going to get into it. So, hey, Steph, welcome to this week's podcast. Um, Can you tell me um, who you are? Hey,
1: Benny. Thanks for having me. So I'm Stephanie Fletcher Larty. um, And I'm a a Jamaican. I was born in Jamaica. I moved to Australia in 2009. When I came on a scholarship by the University of Technology Sydney to do um, doctoral studies and I stayed in Australia after I graduated and subsequently
0: became an Australian citizen. So I'm kind of like a Jamaican Aussie. <laughs> and you an, you're an Aussie, man. You're an Aussie. <laughs> yes. And you're living, in, you're living in Southwest. And where were you working when you were in Southwest?
1: So I lived in Southwest um, yep. in the Liverpool area.
0: Who represent? In the
1: Liverpool area. I I lived in the city most of the early years while I was studying. And then I moved to Stratfield. And then when I started to work for Southwestern Sydney local health district, I moved to Liverpool. And I've lived in Liverpool since about 2015. Yes.
0: So why did you why did you do health? What, What what inspired you, Steph? What's your story? Why did you get into, you know, wanting to help people?
1: Yeah, look, I kind of started out in health quite early. I was an environmental health officer in Jamaica. I graduated from environmental health training in 1997. And my journey really started as a young person. I had a kind of personality that I was really good with people and someone really kind of encouraged me. Another young person who had been through the environmental health training met me one time and was a bit struck by, you know, my, my, my personality. They thought that I had that really people centered approach that would do well in the community health sector. And they encouraged me. I subsequently got trained as an environmental health officer and Um, I think they were really right. It was like fish to water for me. I took really, really well to public health in Jamaica and, you know, got involved in infectious diseases and disease prevention and control from very early. I graduated when I just barely turned 21. Whoa! (laughs) So, and yeah, I've been in public health now officially over 23 years.
0: Mm-hmm. So you definitely have a platform to talk from, I can guarantee you. <laughs> and, and definitely. Enough, I met you um at the City to Surf uh, last year and you are such a vibrant person, such a, a joyful person. I, um, Myself and another consultant met you and we couldn't stop talking about you after we met you just because you're so, uh, I guess, you know, so fun. You're so enjoyable yeah. um you are uh, oh, you just great. want to hug <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah um look so this, this was my first year at city to serve as part of the new south wales statewide emergency team yep and you know i love emergency response and emergency management i really would love to take my career in that direction nice. I mean, I basically from now on but i it's something that i've been doing for many many years from back in jamaica yep. working in disaster um disaster management was one of our core functions yep. in environmental health and i've got a lot of experience working in more natural disaster settings in jamaica through my career becoming an, a biopreparedness epidemiologist oh, yeah. then a, a lot more in terms of disease and you know disease response and health threat related um preparedness and response steph you know for the
0: for all the listeners out there what is epidemiology
1: so epi has to do with diseases dami has to do with people and ology is the study of so you know it's yep. it's really the study of Diseases that affect people, wow. and as an epidemiologist, my job is really involved in basically understanding you know mm-hmm. the different factors that cause people to have diseases and to be able to use that information to inform how we respond or how we prepare to respond to to these
0: diseases so wow it's a, it's, it's, it sounds like a huge job. <laughs> and it's like a, it is. yeah it sounds so big and i you know I guess the reason we and we'll get to it a bit later we came I wanted to speak with you is because currently the world is under a huge is, is you know a huge pandemic is happening here um but and you know because you're a part of this you're way more than I am um but we I just really wanted to understand you know what what is that but also what is an infectious disease so um you've spoken about you know, the study of disease, but what is an infectious disease? And you've had a bit of um, experience with this sort of stuff and where have you seen infectious diseases before in your experience?
1: Okay, so an infectious disease is uh, a disease that is usually caused by some kind of microorganism, mm-hmm. whether it's a bacteria or a virus or a fungus, or it could be an helminth such as some types of worms, you know, um, or, or parasites in general yeah the these are diseases that infect people and they use some of these organisms they usually live in your body but they when they get into unusual places then they they can cause disease or infection and most of these organisms are usually harmless when you find them in their natural environments. When they get inside of people or into places in in your body that they are not supposed to be, they can cause infections and these can be passed on from one person to another, whether by coughing or sneezing or by, you know, touching a contaminated surface, or they could be passed on from animals or, or insects or or other vectors through their bites, like such as mosquito-borne diseases. And some diseases can be contracted through drinking or eating food.
0: Okay. So, yeah. That's good. That's really clear. It's, it's important to know that it can be transmissible through various different ways. Yes, um, yes. And your, your background, have you been to other countries that have had outbreaks of infectious diseases before?
1: So I've got quite a lot of background in infectious diseases, actually. Yep. So my work in Jamaica, so in, in Jamaica and most of Caribbean islands, the environmental health officers are the frontline workers when it comes to infectious diseases. Yep. So unlike other places such as Australia, where you have, you know, public health, nurses and um, public health physicians who do pretty much the vast majority of the the work in the Caribbean region and in many places in Africa. Environmental health officers are the ones with that training. So working for over 15 years in the Caribbean, I have seen a lot. And one of my responsibilities that I had around about 2005, I was in charge of a communicable disease response team, like a special surveillance team for infectious diseases in the tourism industry. Um, so apart from the routine day-to-day work when we investigated, you know, vector-borne or diseases caused by mosquitoes or rats or other yeah. types of vectors, um, gastroenteritis outbreaks, wow. you know, outbreaks in school like head lice and similar things,
2: yep.
1: as part of that team that looked after the tourism industry in the area that I worked, I I was leading a team that carried out surveillance for diseases in the tourism sector and there were times when we had large outbreaks such as those connected to cruise ships with norovirus and other similar outbreaks foodborne outbreaks and you know I've had a lot of years of experience doing that one of the big things that I'm really really proud of and we yep. can talk more about this later In in 2008 and 2009, before I came to Australia, I also coordinated the burden of infectious disease studies for the entire Caribbean region. And I led the the research for Jamaica, which was my home country at the time, to look at the burden of disease in the country from a population level and looking at um, acute gastroenteritis, acute respiratory illnesses and you know, those syndromes related to, to those types of illnesses. And yeah, so I've got quite a bit of experience in Australia. Mm-hmm. I worked as a biopreparedness epidemiologist for Southwestern mm-hmm. Sydney. And my role basically was to lead the team when it came to any forms of infectious disease outbreaks and to ensure that the public health unit was, you know, mounting the appropriate response and had all the relevant resources. That they needed to, to do an effective
0: infectious disease response. Yeah. Wow. And I, I, you know, obviously read a bit about you and also read some of your articles, like went some of your journal publications, and I was blown away. Um, publication <laughs> after publication on different things, like the variety of your publications are, are immense. Um, yes. And just to show, you know, that you've sort of covered so many different infectious diseases, I'm thinking, did you still write this one? I'm going again and again. Um, mate I feel like there's papers and I'm sure hours and hours of work you put in to be able to help countries your own country and also Australia when you're here doing stuff for public health and it's had a huge impact I think um you know on on patients which I think's the best thing um it's just it's just I just I get blunt I actually feel pretty um privileged to be chatting with you, actually And um, so I guess the question that, you know, all the listeners are thinking, they're like, Benny, when are you getting to it, mate? When are you getting to it? (laughs) Um, You know, when are you getting to it, Steph? Come on, you Aussie Jamaican, talk to me. Um, (laughs) What is coronavirus, SARS-CoV-2? What is it? So, um, you know, I'm sure the news tells us other things, but from your perspective, what is it? Um, And then we can, yeah, move on from there.
1: Yes. so... The SARS coronavirus 2 is this new coronavirus that has been discovered and it was first reported from, from China, from the Wuhan area, and mm-hmm. it, is, it is a new coronavirus that we have never seen before. Right. Now, I must say that coronaviruses are a large family of viruses that are found in many different species of animals. Okay. Just camels, kettles, cats, bats, and so on. Okay. And it is very unusual for these viruses to, to, to jump into humans, but it has occurred. And we've had some examples, such as with the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome coronavirus, which mm-hmm. we call MERS-CoV. We've yep. seen that one, which originated in in camel. And we've also seen SARS coronavirus before, in the early 2000s, when that was also reported from China. And now we've seen the SARS-CoV-2 that is causing the coronavirus disease known as COVID-19. So these are three very rare occasions when we have seen a coronavirus that has jumped from an animal species into human beings and then has become effectively transmitted from
0: one person to another. Um, when did you yeah. first hear about it, Steph? When did you first hear about this coronavirus?
1: So funnily enough, right? So yeah. in the first week of January, I actually left Australia, headed to the Caribbean where I was taking up a new position yep. as a consultant with the Caribbean Public Health Agency. A week after I started <laughs> my job, which was yeah, around... I- Um, the end of the, maybe around the 18th or 19th, my boss asked me, yeah, what is it with this new thing? I'm getting some information about this new virus. Yeah. To be honest, I had never heard about it because what happened is when I just arrived from there, I... I didn't lose my phone, but I, I was unable to connect to internet. I had some issues getting a local connection. Yep. So for about two weeks, I was basically without internet.
2: Oh. So I wasn't
1: watching the news, I wasn't on Facebook, I wasn't on yep. social media. I was basically cut off from the rest of the world for two weeks.
0: so sure I the day,
1: <laughs> so around, so that would have been around the 20th or so of, of January, that's yep. when I was asked that question and my boss asked me as the, you know, the, the, the advisor on communicable diseases and emergency yeah. response, you know, what do, what do you know about this and what are the questions I need to be asking the experts? Yeah. So I quickly went online and I was a little bit shocked at what I saw that there had already been several cases and, you know, deaths and so on coming out of China. Yep. That was the first time I officially heard about the coronavirus. Well. Wow. And let's just say that I had to really catch up really fast. <laughs> but thankfully, you know, because of my years of experience yes. working with infectious diseases and being also prepared for, you know, uh, um, outbreaks, like global level outbreaks, working and training and preparing myself because it's an area that I specialize in. You know, and from our experience with Ebola as well, a few years ago, you know, I have been staying on top of my game in terms of, you know, epidemic preparedness and response. So, yeah, I had to really catch up quickly, but I also had the experience to lead me in the right direction and to say, okay, what are the important things we need to know right now? Mm. And what do we need to do at this stage?
0: Um, I guess a question, um, you know, I I read the stats sometimes and seeing, you know, 150, you know, six at the moment, I think it's around that number of thousand people have, you know, had cases. The deaths are around 5,000 or getting up to 6,000. I guess, you know, in in a more technical detail, how does the virus actually work? Um, You mentioned it, you know, attaching onto sort of humans and stuff, and how does it kind of operate, if that makes sense? Yeah.
1: Yeah. so how it is spread, firstly,
0: yeah.
1: it's spread from person to person. Yeah. So we won't talk about the animals now because we're still not really, really sure what, what exactly happens right. and which animal this came from and how it ended up in people. Yes. What we do know is about what's happening in humans. Yes. So the very early cases were thought to be linked to the seafood market and that's why yeah. I think people assume that people got it from animals yeah. and, and they found it in some environmental samples, even though to date nobody has found an animal, um, which, which can raise a whole other discussion somewhere.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. But
1: from people. So, but it became, it was very soon, it, it started to, to become obvious that people who had no links whatsoever to the market were starting to become sick. Okay. And that's when they recognized that this thing was passing from people to people. Yep. And typically, the, vi- the the infection with this virus yep. looks like flu, you know, typical cold or flu-like symptoms. So coughing. The data says not many of the people have sneezing. So it's more like coughing. Okay. And some will progress to have like shortness of breath, but there's a lot of coughing when it begins. And of course there's a fever. So with that coughing, you know, when the droplets from the cough gets into the atmosphere, you know, they can fall onto surfaces or if somebody is in the close vicinity, and this is estimated to be about three to six feet of vicinity of this person, the droplets could actually fall directly onto people, whether on your body or you could, you know, you, you, they get into your nose or your mouth. Yep. This, the, the, the second way in which this could spread, and this is quite common with stuff like influenza and the common cold, yep. is when someone has coughed or sneezed and you catch that sneeze or the cough in your hand, the virus comes out in the, you know, in the cough. Your hands become contaminated. So whatever you touch immediately after coughing and sneezing, you can transfer the virus to that surface. Yeah, so just can kind of imagine people in the emergency department, Yeah. Uh, you know, waiting to see a doctor and they're coughing and sneezing. They catch that cough, whether with their hands or yeah. with a tissue. But, you know, if they throw down the tissue somewhere or they use their hands to touch the chair handle, the seat that they're sitting on, mm. you know, where, the counter at the reception desk, when they go in for triage at the triage nurse, you know, they might sit down on a chair with the triage nurse. They will do their blood pressure. They might rest their hand on that table.
0: Mm, Yep.
1: You see the picture I'm painting. So one issue is the actual cough. So those who are around them when they cough within that close vicinity would be exposed. But then the places that they touch and oftentimes you can't really, you know, if somebody asks me, so what did you touch after you cough? It's, I, I'm most likely not going to remember that.
2: Yeah. So I'm that's gonna...
1: that's with this whole idea about how this virus moves from one person to another mm. through the you know, whether directly from the coughing, but also through the contaminated hands mm. or sometimes the tissue or the napkin that they use to to wipe the nose or to catch the cough.
0: And we're talking yeah. microscopic um pathogens, yeah. you know, things we can't necessarily see with our eyes.
1: Yeah yeah and this is a virus too which means it's very very small so it's smaller than normal viruses are usually the smallest okay among among the, the organisms that can spread from people to people you know because a virus can actually go inside of a bacteria that's how small a virus is yeah so that's how tiny this virus is so there's no way that you could see this even with the natural just the naked eye You know, you you will never be able to just see a a, a, a virus. In fact, even in in traditional microbiology, you know, you you can't just see a virus with just any type of microscope. Yeah. You know, so just to show you how small or how tiny a virus really is. But that said, they do have the ability to infect people through various methods. And with this one in particular, the SARS-CoV virus, it 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 has an affinity. It has a likeness for the lungs, and that's why it is a respiratory tract infection. There we so go. once you get that, it tends to it tends to harbour around the lungs. Yep. And then it it begins to multiply and cause you know that inflammation, and when the, the small blood vessels or the small you know ear pockets in the, in the, in the lungs begin to get inflamed because of the virus that is attacking it, yes. then you begin to have shortness of breath. You would well understand. Yeah. And for those people who might have chronic diseases, whose immune system is not strong enough to fight this off, mm. then they can go on to develop, you know, the acute respiratory distress and so on and so forth. The last point on that is that most healthy people, their immune system is strong enough to fight off the virus. Uh, And so while they will get that little cough, uh, it is a symbol that the respiratory tract is fighting it, Mm -hmm. and it's trying to expel the virus, it's trying to get it out. It's it's producing that mucus that comes in to fight off the, the presence of a foreign body. Yep. And so a healthy person will produce that cough and the fever as a symbol to say, my body has sent out its troops mm. and we are fighting this invader. And yep. in a couple of days' time, I'm going to get rid of it out of my body and I'm yes. going to be fine.
0: Yep. <laughs> <laughs> we forget about the defense mechanisms that the body has, cough being one of yeah. the... To fighting yes. that acute, you know, we talk about that inflammatory response markers and all these things that are on a cellular level that are there to try and fight something that's foreign in the body. Um, yes. Who does, you know, um, Corona, who, who's more, we, we mentioned it, kind of touched on it, but who is it mostly affecting? What types of people groups is it mostly affecting? Yeah.
1: So the people are mainly affected. Well, I suppose anyone could get the coronavirus. Yeah? Yep. yep. However, those people with underlying medical conditions are the ones who are more likely to have a severe infection. Yep. So about 80% of those people who have been infected so far have developed really mild disease okay. and they didn't. They didn't require to see a medical practitioner. They did, you know, it's just like flu season. We had a cough, a couple of days, stayed home, you know, um, use something to treat the symptoms, whether, you know, the panadol or the Tylenol or the ibuprofen to just manage a fever at home. And then within a couple of days, the body's immune system. I said, back off, brother. You're not welcome here. (laughs) And then you're right. You know, you're right as rain in a couple days. Yep. Now, there is another group, another about 20% of the people who have become infected have gone on to produce that more severe response, which is the acute respiratory syndrome and the shortness of breath and and some of the, the other more chronic types of symptoms. Yes. And these are the people who are more likely to be admitted to hospital. A fraction of these, those, another 4% or so, yeah. maybe 2 to 4% may get the acute respiratory distress. These ones might need to be admitted to the intensive care unit okay. and require... Some kind of intubation, ventilation, yes, supportive therapy to help them to breathe and to remove all of that mucus. They will go on to have pneumonia, and yes. in the initial case definition that the WHO had put out, they had said the chest X-ray and that CT scan, um, that that you know that initial scan was what they were using to diagnose to diagnose the disease because that was how those severe cases were showing up with severe acute respiratory distress and severe acute respiratory infections and required hospitalization. And so the definition was anyone who had a severe acute respiratory infection requiring hospitalization. And then they would look at that chest x-ray and they would see that abnormality that said um, this person's got pneumonia. Yep. No, the vast majority of that group of people who end up in that condition are people who have some underlying conditions. Okay. These are people who have some chronic diseases such as high blood pressure, um, heart disease, diabetes, Mm. people with cancers. These are people whose immune system has been busy fighting off other infections as a result of you know, their existing conditions. Yes. So the immune system is not as strong as it can or because it's busy doing such a hard job for the yeah. other stuff, there's not enough strength to help to fight off something that's producing another form of inflammation, yep.
2: another
1: form, you know, another attack on the system. So these are the people who have somehow succumbed to the illness, have ended up required that more invasive type of management in hospital. Yes. The vast majority of them have recovered. Okay. But there's a small proportion of these people who have become overwhelmed by the disease and they have died.
0: Yeah, that's great. Cause I, I looked at some footage um, in Italy, obviously, and saw, you know, a lot of people ventilated uh, and I'm sure the media, you know, does portray just, uh, you know, wants to portray what's happening. I understand that. Um, but it's important to understand how it does affect that respiratory system uh, and yeah. how then people are requiring more support. Um, you know, obviously, we don't want the spread of the disease from if we put him on, you know, sometimes non-invasive where there's air going everywhere through the room. Sometimes it's about where can we put this person to stop the spread of it, but also how can we treat them holistically, which is a hard, hard thing.
2: Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Also, even reading the news about, um, you know, countries closing their borders. My sister's trying to come out from Norway uh, this morning. And she's she can't leave. Um Yeah. So you know, there's obviously the con- countries are really cracking down on trying to how to create safety for for this. And a word that's yeah. popped up is pandemic. So what is a pandemic? Mm. That word. Uh,
1: yeah, this pandemic word that has caused so much fear and.
0: Yeah. What is it? You know,
1: well, as added to the existing fear. So a pandemic is a third stage of uh, uh, like an outbreak. So I think in order to explain what a pandemic means, I need to say what an outbreak is.
0: That's better. An
1: outbreak is usually small and it is usually very contained in a small geographical area. Yep. And an outbreak is usually a symbol that the numbers of of cases of a disease is above what is normal for that area. Okay? So that's an outbreak. Yeah. Now, an outbreak becomes an epidemic yep. when it has spread to a larger geographical area, or to multiple countries, or across multiple borders.
2: Yep.
1: Up until last week, COVID nineteen was an epidemic. Okay. Because it had spread across multiple borders, across regions, and people had imported it from, you know, where it started at the epicenter in China to several other countries. And then within these other countries, some of the first cases that brought the disease to countries were spreading it to other people in country.
2: Okay. Now,
1: this becomes a pandemic when there are so many cases of the disease across a large geographical area, and many of these geographical areas or these geographical states are unable to manage or to contain the disease Yep. using the traditional or the conventional
0: methods. Yep. And what are some of those methods, conventional and traditional methods? Yeah. yeah.
1: The traditional methods would be, the basic one would be the contact tracing, which is what we do every day. Okay. Our measles, for example, um, you know, the mosquito-borne diseases, the contact tracing for anything that is infectious that you can pass from one person to another. Okay. So those would be the first thing you would do. If contact tracing efforts have become difficult, then what we would normally do sometimes is to isolate people and quarantine them. And those, those, so quarantine is for people who don't have symptoms that have been exposed. And isolation is for people who have symptoms and you are about to verify whether they have the disease.
0: Okay. Yep.
1: So those are some of the traditional methods. Yep. Some traditional methods may also be social distancing as well, where you restrict mass gatherings. You prevent you know, those mass gatherings, or you might say to people, don't congregate, don't meet in, in, in these settings because of the risk. When these measures have failed to prevent the, the disease from spreading, mm-hmm. which means that we continue to see new cases are, are arising without any obvious explanation from where I've got this this disease. So people are showing up with the disease and they, they can't, well, I haven't traveled to the place where they had cases.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Nobody in my family is sick. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I have, I don't know who was sick that I came in contact with. And m- more and more, these cases have begun to come up. Countries have closed on their borders. They have issued um, travel alerts and restrictions. We're still seeing more and more cases. It means that, the added measures that we have put in have not been able to limit and restrict the spread of the disease. Okay. So now basically it is out of control and hence it has to be escalated to a level that's called a pandemic. Okay. And I will add a few words about what now, what does it mean when a pandemic is declared?
0: Yeah, definitely. Definitely.
1: Yeah. Yeah. When a pandemic is declared, it implies that the Control efforts globally have really relatively failed mm. to contain the disease. But when it is also declared as a pandemic, this has also other implications. One is the political implication. Most countries have what you call a contingency fund in their budget, in their national budgets.
2: yeah.
1: when a pandemic is declared these these me- there they are measures that can be implemented under existing laws yep. that the, gov- the country or the govern- governance mechanisms have that can allow a, a state or a region or a government to be able to access resources that they would not be able to access under normal circumstances. Yeah? Yep. So, for example, let's say in the context of Australia, if you listen to the Prime Minister a few weeks ago when he decided that he was escalating and activating the Australian Pandemic Plan. Yes. What the Prime Minister of Australia said, I am taking, you know, you were saying, he was taking the action of of activating the Pandemic Response Plan, which now enables the government of Australia to make certain plans and to put certain measures in place in terms of finances. They are able to look at the budget to see how they will be able to support the population how they might be able to give more resources to the states and the the state governments and so on. From a bigger perspective or a bigger picture outside of an individual country, it also means that some of the international mechanisms, such as the World Health Organization, some of the philanthropist-type organizations, they now are able to donate funds to the emergency response. Okay. And without some of the bureaucratic limitations that would normally be in place okay. previously or under normal circumstances. So this is what happens when a pandemic is be- declared. It enables, you know, the governance mechanisms to be able to access added resources outside of what is normal or to be able to release these resources so that member states and countries will be able to have a more equita- equitable type of access to resources Mm. For, you, you can well imagine we have very small countries. Yeah, Some of them would not even be able to cope with even five cases based on the, the size of their hospital or based on the limited numbers of healthcare workers they have. So that enables these other international organizations to be able to provide some support for these smaller countries mm. without having to go through some of the long red tape and bureaucracy and some of the other and these member states will also be able to accept this assistance without having to go through some of the, you know, jump through some of the hoops that they would normally yeah. have to go through. <laughs> so just to, I hope that, I hope I've explained that oh. in, in, in as lay a term as I could.
0: No, I think that's brilliant because I, I, um, I woke up this morning and watched an interview and it was looking at, um, uh, they're obviously uh, in, in America and they're talking about trying to make sure that um, corona testing could be free for all people um that don't have you know insurance um yeah that, that was i watched that it was it was just awesome to see that uh in the sense that you know we're trying to fight for people to be able to be tested um how, how do you get tested for covid what is the you know um for listeners out there how do you, how do you find out if you are positive or negative
1: so different countries will have different protocols that they follow yep What is happening in a lot of, countries? well, in in the Australian setting, the the information that I saw coming out was most of the private laboratories, for example, you would have stuff like Douglas Hanley, Laverty, you know, those, you know, the regular ones that you would normally go to, a lot of them would already have the capacity to test. Mm -hmm. I saw one GP alert that says, go to your local pathology, you know. Mm -hmm. So the GPs, in Australia, would already be able to test, take the test. Now, I must point out that the sample, the sample that they take for COVID, is very, very similar to what they would have done if they were testing you for a flu.
2: Yeah, it's the
1: same thing. They would the same type of sample, yep. a nasal swab or yep. a, or a deep, you know, a throat swab. So it's the same type of sample they would have taken, and then they would send it off to the appropriate testing facility. Right. whether it's the local lab or the hospital laboratory or public health laboratory. Yep. In in, in the Caribbean region where I am currently, I think most of the countries have, have opted for the hospital laboratories or the, national, the designated national laboratories to be the only place where they do the tests currently for exactly. safety and security reasons. Yep. Um... So most of the countries in this region, as far as I know, would not have tests available at their private, you know, the commercial yep. laboratories as yet. Some of them have, but I think the clearance from the heads from the from, from what we've seen in the news so far is that the it's a national public health laboratory systems would be handling all the initial COVID nineteen um suspected cases just to ensure that they they, they're not using for example counterfeit tests
0: yes that's good and you need to know that i know that um in australia like an inclusion exclusion criteria you know have you you traveled to um, any countries on on the list that australia is warning you about um do you have symptoms of cough you know fever sore throat um yeah or, or being with anyone who has confirmed COVID, and then obviously we do a swab. Um, and that yeah. can happen anywhere from, you know, 72 to five days, 72 hours to five days.
2: Yeah.
0: Depends if you are, you know, what you are. Um, yeah. uh, I know this is a little bit off topic. Why is Australia using so much toilet paper? <laughs> <laughs> uh, is it happening in the Caribbean or is it just us? Do we just like to wipe our bums more? What's going on, man?
1: I was wondering what on <laughs> earth is happening in Australia <laughs> with this toilet paper. So
0: now,
1: To be honest, I usually pride myself to be a great detective, but honestly, I have not got to the bottom of the toilet paper. I don't know whether somebody may have said that um, people could come down with gastro-related symptoms. I am not quite sure. Or my my other hypothesis is whether Australians felt that. Toilet paper is made in China or in Asia. Yeah. And because Australia was closing down its borders to so many Asian countries, whether they thought that it would affect the ability for Australia to bring more toilet paper in.
0: Well, I, I,
1: I, I can only speculate. I don't understand why that oh. everyone made a mad rush
0: for the toilet papers. Oh mate. Um, so yeah, if you find out, please let me know. I'll definitely let you know. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I I wonder is it you know, and I'm sure it's not just toilet paper. It's you know, it's hand sanitizer. It's flour. My wife went to buy lentils the other day, couldn't find them anywhere. Um, yeah. You know, is this how people operate in pandemic mode? Do people go crazy and and do erratic things? Is this common? Yes. Okay. Yes,
1: the toilet paper one was a little bit over the top for me and I still don't understand why they went for that first. However, in a pandemic situation, yep. um, if I could paint a little picture,
0: yeah, paint it for me. I
1: already spoke about um, the measures that the government can take in terms of the financial side of things yep. or the more economic side of things. What I did not mention was the other measures that can come into effect when a pandemic is declared. Yeah. And on when we are in such a level of emergency globally, the government of the country under their existing laws will likely have a clause where they could um, implement something like a state of emergency or similar. Now, when you're dealing with an infectious disease over the years, what we have come to know and The data coming out of China, for those who have cared to have a look at it, has shown that what China did was very effective in containing the outbreak and slowing down the spread to the rest of the world. Yeah. So what China did, the first thing they did was to shut down Wuhan province where the disease was basically the epicenter. If you look over time at what happened was that the the number of cases gradually came down because people could not get in and they could not get out. Now this is, this was unusual. But I think what China did was recognize very early that they were having a major epidemic happening. No, this is what happened. This is not unusual for an epidemic setting. That uh, countries will shut down their borders. Yep. They will take whatever measures are necessary to prevent person-to-person spread. Yep. And one of the most effective ways of doing that is called social distancing. Okay. They will say, do not congregate. Okay. The, go- the government can get up and say tomorrow, no public activity that requires more than X number of persons yep. should take place. And they can implement... They could lock you up if you defy that rule. Yes. That is how serious it is. Okay. Nice. So people anticipating that some of these measures might come into place. Yep. People have started to think, hang on a second. This now is a pandemic or this is an epidemic. Yep. The government has declared, our government has already taken steps to declare this. We better start stocking up our cupboards because the time will come when the government might even stop us from going to the supermarket. Yep. So. It is not unusual for people to start stocking up. It's like, you know, as a young woman growing up in the Caribbean, we are used to natural disasters. Growing up in Jamaica, every single year, we had to deal with, if we hadn't, if we didn't have a hurricane, we at least had some kind of real storm surges that was like lots of flooding. And working as an environmental officer, this was quite common for me to be um, working in that setting. Yeah. So what people would normally do the moment you get the warning that in the next two to three days we might have really bad weather, people yep. would start stock up, and the public health and the government would say, "Get some emergency supplies." So what yeah. people are doing now is quite similar. Okay. There's a pandemic. Yep. Um, people will begin to shut down borders. This yep. will. This is gonna get worse before it gets better. I guess. Okay. And things may become scarce because now. I'm shutting down my borders. I can't get anything in. Not just people, but the supplies that I need may not be able to come in for a while. So things may become short. You know, we may have shortages of some essential supplies. What people are doing is to be proactive, to say, okay, let's get some stuff. What yeah. they have done, though, was a bit irrational. I thought yeah. the toilet paper, <laughs> but w- when you start to see, the, it, I am—I was expecting the flour and the lentils and the milk to go first. Yeah. But now people are starting to recognize that. Oh, we have all the toilet paper now. We need something
0: yep. to make the toilet
1: paper work. <laughs>
0: Now I need something to eat. <laughs> no, I need something to eat. And
1: now, you know, so what I did over this weekend, um, yesterday on the way home from work, yeah, the country, the country in which I am living, has asked schools to, to, to close,
2: okay.
1: in the coming week. Yep. I have a child, so the first thing I did on my way home was to go to the supermarket. Yep. And get extra supplies because yep. the fact that they have started to slowly in, implement measures. Yes. Then you know we expect that those measures may escalate in the next couple of days. Yep. you know the canceling they might actually ask businesses look in an effort to contain this they're yes. asking businesses with x number of staff or people who can work from home to do so, and many countries have already started to do that
0: yes, and i mean i've i've I remember even looking at the um the stock market, and I had a quick look at it when uh Donald Trump made his um, you know, statement and saw it drop completely. And then they're yeah. you know, realizing that people have, especially I know here in Australia, what people have businesses, um, that's a huge impact on them. You know, that um supporting their family, paying their mortgage. Um, you know, I'm sure that even big companies are going to have to reconsider, you know, having big offices with a thousand employees, how they can yeah. mobilize and be working from home. Um, yeah. so it's, it has a huge impact um, yes. I guess, Steph, with all of your experience, all of your exposure, how do you, in, in a pandemic, How? what's your advice? You've, you've mentioned um, we want to stop the contamination of, of infectious diseases. Um, you know, what, What's your advice, do you think, for clinicians and then also for the general public?
1: So I've got a few. So let me start with the clinicians first. So yep. clinicians, including the frontline staff, our nurses, Yep. who usually the first people to come in contact with the patient. The, the triage nurse is the first yep. person. And, and, and also our admin staff who are at yep. the reception area are usually the first pe- people who come in contact with this patient. Yep. So for the clinicians or the healthcare workers, regardless of their role, whether clinical or allied health or non-clinical, the first thing to do is to stay on top of the information as best as you can but the general things have not changed okay number one vigilance is key yep you have to be vigilant we are in a pandemic there are cases in the community now as as people begin to move around it's not just going to be the person who came on a plane from china anymore it's going to be Almost anybody who comes in through that door, you have to treat them as a COVID case until you can confirm otherwise.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah? Yeah. So everyone who comes in with the coughing and the fever, yeah. you have to consider that this person could have COVID yeah. and you need to follow the instructions. And the key ones that are universal is this. For reception staff, usually the, the GP office, the general practice most people will show up at their general practice because they have mild symptoms. So the GP receptionist will need to be vigilant to say this person has called on the phone or they have shown up in person and they are coughing and they've got a fever. First thing I need to do is to give them a mask. Give them a mask and then you collect the relevant information. What we are seeing is that some people show up and people say, oh, but you didn't go anywhere. You know? Mm you don't have it. Yeah. We have to, we are going to get to the stage when nobody has been anywhere, but I got it from my neighbor. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yep. So we need to, and we are actually at that stage when that is already happening and we need to move away from that. Oh, they had to have gone to China.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. So first thing is real vigilance. See, same thing applies to the emergency room. Um, the triage nurse is usually the one um, from my experience in australia and in yeah. a lot of countries that's what happened They triage nurse but in some areas for example in the caribbean region it might be the receptionist who's the person at that window who yeah. they come in and they have to register most of our facilities here someone would go up to the registration window to say i've come to the hospital for this it's the same vigilance is required yeah understand what the symptoms are, you know, for some countries that are just starting to have their first case, they need to be vigilant and ask the appropriate questions. And then after that initial contact, isolation. Perfect. So ask, you know, so you, you ask the appropriate question, you give the mask and you isolate, Mm. get them away from everyone else. Yep. It's easier for you to get one sick person away from everyone else and to get everyone else away from one
0: situation. Yeah. Yes, correct. That is so. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like in our emergency department, we've shut our short stay unit basically, and for now. And then I think on Monday we're going to be running our flu clinic, um, yeah. and we're literally yeah. them around. That the clerk's wearing a mask and, or you know, obviously taking precautions and saying, if you, you know, if you're coming for the COVID testing, please go around that way. Going around, yeah. that way, we've got a separate entrance for for those people, isolated. Um yeah. so that people can be tested uh, yes and following I think you alluded to it the guidelines of social isolation yeah which
1: so I know that the Australian pandemic plan does have um, provisions for that and and if it comes to the point where there are more people in the community, they may actually set up a separate one maybe at a community health center okay and the guidelines that I've written I've, i have written those with that in mind that wow you know, we may need to do that flu clinic where you take away the bulk of the people with the respiratory infections yes. away from the hospitals yes. where you may have other people who are immunocompromised, the chronic disease patient who is going to come in contact with them. There yeah. will come a time when we have to say, don't go to hospital. Yeah. There's a flu clinic on Brown Street. Yeah. Where <laughs> you need to go to. Yeah. That's where you need to show up. <laughs> and the government, you know, you know yeah. will, will need to do that. But that's pretty much it. And when it comes to the actual case now, just yep. to, for the for the health healthcare worker or the clinicians, yes. once you have done your assessment, and this person needs to to do the appropriate testing, yep. you know. In- infection prevention and control is the most important thing yes. you know look after yourself your universal precautions the airborne precautions or the droplet yep. precautions must be used and it has to be done for everyone yep. you can't begin to discriminate and say that i'll use my personal protective equipment for this person and not yep. that one yep. it's we've passed that stage now we have to yep. just keep it on yep. and use it you know, use a fresh set for every new patient yes. you see. So that's really, really critical. Mm-hmm. And for those who are actively involved in manage managing the confirmed cases, then they have that extra precaution they need to follow, especially if they have to ventilate them or if somebody goes into shock and they have to intubate them. That intubation process will produce the airborne the aerosol that can be even worse than somebody coughing on you.
0: Yes. I've you have been... gone
1: inside of them mm. and you've produced a very small mist that can actually reach much further and can infect more people and it can also contaminate the walls and the curtains and the beds yes. without you even thinking about it. So yeah. that infection control, the cleaning of those areas is gonna be absolutely, absolutely important mm. to, to make sure that those you know, infection control and prevention control um, methods are completely adhered to. But the public, the general public, Yeah. The, the message for the general public is as simple as it can be, wash your hands.
2: Yes. Yeah. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, um, I, I wrote this song about washing your hands, you know, I wrote this song about, you know, get the soap and water. Wash your hands, wash your hands, cover the sneeze and cough and then you're going to wash your hands, wash your hands. We don't want no one to catch it, so we all going to help to stop it and keep the germs out of the Caribbean. (laughs) You know, just going to have to wash your hands, wash your hands, even if you're not sick. So people might say, "But why do I need to wash my hands? I'm not sick. You know why you need to wash your hands? The person who coughed, I, I started off by saying this. When the person who is sick coughs, they might touch the chair. Yep. They might touch the counter. They might take the bus and touch the seat in the bus. They might touch the, 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 the trolley at the supermarket.
0: You see where Mm -hmm. I'm going with this? So I
1: need to wash my hand because I may have come after that person. So constantly washing my hand with soap and water is going to be really important. Now, if you're in a position where soap and water is not available, get the hand sanitizer that contains about 60% and more alcohol and sanitize your hands. If there is dirt, visible soil on your hands, wash it. Hand sanitizers only work on relatively clean hands. Yes. And it should only be used when you don't have immediate access to soap and water. The other thing is, if you're having symptoms, it's important to do a few things. One, before you even think about going to the doctor, you need to start doing the personal hygiene stuff. Yep. Cough. If you're coughing, cover your cough and, or your sneeze or your runny nose. Cover it. Right. Mm. No, the the best practice is to cover it with a disposable paper towel. If you can't reach one because you know, cough can happen anytime, (laughs) you know, or you could sneeze anytime, (laughs) you catch it. They say use your elbow to catch it. Although no, that, that, that recommendation, you know, when I catch it in my elbow, what do I do? Do I have a shower next? I I need to have a shower. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, are most people like honestly? If I sneeze now, it might be more easy for me to catch it in my hand if I yeah. can't get to my elbow. Yep. So it's so important that you are catching that sneeze in a tissue or with your elbow or with your hands if you can't reach it. But immediately, that tissue must be disposed of properly. You put it in a proper bin, yep. you don't just leave it hanging around. Mm. and you wash your, whether you catch it with your hand, your sleeve or the tissue, you still need to wash your hands with soap and water. The next thing that a person who is having some symptoms need to do is you assess yourself. You know what you're like. You're not, yeah, I'm not really feeling very good. Yeah. I'm not sick enough to go to the doctor. That's fine. Most people will not need to go to the doctor, Mm. but it is important that you stay away from other people. Yes. Yeah. Stay away from other people if you have other people in your household with you it's important that you let them know you're not feeling well yes. and also to explain to them that i'm not feeling well i need to keep away from you in terms of physical distance yes as much as is possible and also make sure that you are wiping down the surfaces in your home and the traditional household bleach is strong enough to kill the virus okay so you can mix You can mix a solution with bleach and just wipe down regularly the door handles, the toilets, you know, inside your toilets, the sinks, the handles, the the tops, anything that your hands are quite likely to touch. The regular touch points, the door handles, the sinks, the tops, the kitchen counter, the table, Mm. anything like that. Your phone.
0: Yeah, your phone. Good point. Your
1: phone. You know, I would say if I would use some of the hand gel to wipe down. I've been using hand gel to wipe down my phone or to get one of those alcohol wipes to wipe down my phone case. And the glass screen on the phone can be easily wiped. Alcohol swabs. Yeah. Finally, if you become, if you start to see that your symptoms start to become worse, you started to have that shortness of breath, you started to feel really congested, then you called ahead to the health facility. If you're going to the see the, your your private the GP, you call ahead and let them know. I have come down with symptoms. I think I could have been exposed to someone with COVID or I've travelled to somewhere. I would love to come in to see the doctor, and I'm calling ahead. Yeah. If you have a mask at home with you, wear your mask when you go to see the doctor. Yep. We don't recommend that you take public transportation if you yep. have, unless it is completely unavoidable.
2: Yeah. That's good. But
1: and it is even more important that if you're going on public transport, you put on that mask and cover up yes. really, really well. And the last thing is that most hospitals, whether you're in Australia or elsewhere, um, you might not get, you might not be able to get through on the hospital number. People yep. are busy. Yeah, you know. So we might be saying, call ahead, call ahead. That is more practical if you're calling the GP's office. Nobody at the hospital might be able to pick up that phone and, yep. and answer you. Unless, of course, there's a dedicated telephone line for people to call in. Yep. If, when you go to the hospital, then it is important that when you get there, you say, I think I could have COVID, I've been exposed. Yep. And then if they don't offer you a mask, ask for one. Yep. I would say so. And if they give you a attention, mom ma'am or sir, I feel like I have been exposed to someone. Could you please give me a mask so I can put that on so I can protect the other people in this waiting area? Yeah. So, and, you know, um, and just the last maybe one or two is that avoid touching your eyes and your nose and your mouth. Yep. If you don't need to be out and about, especially right now, as the pandemic has been declared, limit, limit your social you know, movements as much yes. as you can. Avoid crowded areas, avoid large gatherings. Yes. And basically, if you have symptoms finally, don't go to work. Yep. Call in and let them know and follow the procedures that your employee year has put in place if they've got a contingency plan for COVID-19. Mm-hmm. And I think those are the main ones. I'm sure I haven't touched on everything single thing but I, I think those are the main things that you would need to be doing at this time
0: oh it's you know it's just really clear because you know it does create stress when we go when we're dealing with these things uh you know financial stress uh stress on your health because health has a huge impact on how you operate as a person um and i think what you've raised is really good just to sort of you know think about it think about what you're doing think about how it affects yeah. your family how it affects your work um how it affects your community but also um, be smart, don't freak out, you know, yeah. be smart. You know, you can still wash your hands. Simple things like washing your hands, covering your cough um, will stop the spread of infectious diseases. So if we're all smart and think about things, we can obviously alleviate stress on everyone and also the country as well and the burden on, on the world. Yes. Um, and
1: can I just make one last comment on yeah, that? Sure, sure. One of the things that has raised its ugly head in this outbreak is the misinformation false information fake news yes as a public health practitioner on the front line the largest challenge that i have faced in doing my job is actually fake news okay it's not a lack of resources it's not the fact that i have to work until midnight sometimes to make sure i have documents ready for my yep. my organization to share with our member states the next morning. Yep. Fake news has given me more work than I would love to see.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep.
1: That trying to keep up with the misinformation that people have spread through social media has been, you know, I have been in public health for 23 years plus. Yeah, And I would consider myself to be One of the best in my area. Yep. But I have never seen this. This is new to us because ten years ago we never had social media. Yes. It's a new phenomenon, and a lot of us don't even know how to keep up with it.
2: Yeah. We also
1: don't have enough staff dedicated to keep up with with the the social media information. So we so we have to be producing information to correct the false information. It's it's been absolutely ridiculous it's so my plea for those who are listening to me on this podcast yeah i would love to say one thing to you yeah go check the source of the information before you share it yeah find a way to identify what is credible information as as well yeah credible information check for credible organizations although we know that some people are trying to pass off information as yeah. coming from credible sources. We saw a prescription going around the other day from the U.S. CDC. And luckily I am the kind of person who, you know, like I've, I know different organizations and I know the standard that to expect from them, Yeah, but not everybody is as astute and as keen as I am. Yes, I saw that and I ended up in a very high level meeting. Yeah, And someone in that high level meeting shared the same thing that was shared on social media. Yeah. And I had to say to this person, this is not authentic. So can you imagine this was coming from somebody who was an expert in the field? Yes. And then I had to say, I don't believe this is authentic. There is no way that an organization of that nature yeah. would submit a piece of thing that looks like this. Yeah. Look at it. So what they have done was to Photoshop something. Yes. And put it on a CDC letterhead. Mm. This week again, we saw some coming out of the Ministry of Health that somebody had superimposed these images with instructions, passing it all off from the local Ministry of Health.
2: Oh, and exactly. the minist- And
1: we thought it was authentic. It was on a proper letterhead. Yep. Everything looked fine until through our networks, we saw something came out from the ministry to say, mm. this is not from us. Yeah. So that's what I'm saying. Some oh. of it is very difficult to identify, yep. but my plea is to, number one, check the information. Yep. And, and if you're not sure, verify it if you can, or find someone in the public health agency or organization and ask them, is this something real? Should we be doing this? Is this from you? Verify that information before you follow it and also before you share it. That is something that I would really, really love to underscore. And maybe just finally also, there's been so much fear that has come out of some of the false information that has spread. People are just overwhelmed. Mm. People are afraid. People are just beside themselves with panic. I would love to remind people, the vast majority of people who have been infected with COVID-19 so far have recovered. They are alive.
0: Yep. <laughs> they have
1: lived to tell the story. They have shared their experiences. Yep. Right?
0: Yeah, that's good. Over
1: 76,000 people have recovered from COVID. Yes. The vast majority of people have lived to tell the story. Not everyone is going to die from COVID. It's not the end of the world. And it is those elderly people whose immune system is not able to manage, those people with underlying chronic diseases or multiple Mm. chronic diseases who are most at risk. Please look after them. Mm. If you have anyone who is in that group that is associated with you, or it could just be your neighbor you know, look out for them and give an eye and help them to understand the information. Cause a lot of the elderly people may not even be able to read or may not be able to get this information that we are so easily getting on social media as well. Yes. Help them to get the real authentic information, Help them to understand it and help them. They might, these people are at risk run an errand for them. If you could do the grocery run for them, if you could go to the pharmacy and pick up their medication for them so that they don't have to go out and mix with another 500 people, that would be absolutely amazing. And that, I believe, would be the best thing that we could do at yeah. this time in this epidemic.
0: Oh, that's great, Steph, just being mindful of other people and people that are, you know, and in the community and working out, oh, that's a way I could help my neighbour. I think that's just really you know, really, yeah, really thoughtful. And also what you're saying is um, getting the real facts and the real information so that we are informed and we're not misinformed and not operating out of fear, but operating out of what's actually currently happening in this um, pandemic. Yes. Uh, it's been an absolute, I could talk to you forever. Um, <laughs> you are so articulate, so clear, um, you're funny and also so knowledgeable um I am just I'm privileged to have actually chatted with you for this long, and I know you've got I know you're got a busy life, so um i just I'm just thankful for your time. Um, is there anything else you want to add? Um, yeah, just thank you so much for what you've been able to sort of articulate to us.
1: yeah, look, i I have really, greatly appreciated the opportunity to really share about you know my journey in infectious yeah. diseases as an epidemiologist. You know, um, and also on the current situation on COVID nineteen.
0: Yep. Yeah. Oh, it's been um. Oh, it's been awesome chatting with you, mate. Just yeah, I, I don't know. I'm speechless. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm gonna look forward to. I, I hope we can catch up again and have another chat uh, down the track to see what we're doing. You know, you know, six months down the track with all this with all this COVID nineteen stuff. Um,
1: I would love to do that, Benny. I would really, really love to do that. We we will.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And I'll be be jamming your music with the kids uh, and I'll be adding it all to the show notes. So um, thank you for your time, Steph. You're an absolute legend. Any advice given on the ED jam? should not be taken over your local medical practitioner. For more information related to the coronavirus, please go to wwwhealthnewsouthwalesgovernorau forward slash infectious alert pages coronaviruses or otherwise follow the show notes below.